every person in this world has two lives and their second life starts when they realize they only have one. And at this point that we realize that life is short, nothing is promised, things are uncertain. The only thing that is promised to you is right now. So are you making the most of right now in your life with the legacy that you want to leave behind in this world? Um, Mm. And I think it's super important. The more connected you can be to that, the sooner you can get to that level of self-actualization, the better this world is going to be. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone. A certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. Jackson, welcome to The Decision Table. It is so good, my friend, to have you on The Decision Table today. We literally just have casual conversation, just like we would if we were sitting at a table together, and we just happen to press live and join the world in on our conversation as well. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into it. I know. So here's the funny thing. Um, Last month, I did a series on the decision table all around the lens of what I call the need for a new approach to leadership. Interesting conversations came out of that. Loved every moment of it. A lot of what I've thought and felt Oh my goodness, 31 conversations later, so interesting hearing it. And the lens this month is around what I call the importance of the muscle of human intelligence. And I thought, hmm, Jackson, you'd be good to have a conversation around this. I try my Uh, best to flex that muscle as much as I can. uh, Well, here's the thing, right? (laughs) Just for those, because I know it's kind of like an intense conversation too, right? Where people go, what? The muscle of human intelligence. This sounds so like, I have no idea even what it sounds like, right? And I go, let's just bring it right back to real simple. What I see it as is the data that you have as a human. And what are you doing with that data? How are you using it? Are you exercising that data to make sure that it's the data you actually want to get the results that you want to bring? All that kind of conversation. So as intense as it can go, it can be as light as you want it to be as well. I love intense, Kira Marie. So I'm looking forward to roll on the sleeves up and just diving right into it, which is amazing subject. I know. And I, I think it'll be interesting looking through the lens of, you know, finance, money, wealth, and how are we being smart about that? Are we even intentionally thinking about that? Where does that all come? So fire ahead, my friend, when I bring up all this sort of stuff, where do you think it starts for you? Yeah, I'll take you back to the beginning because a lot of the work that I'm doing in terms of, of flexing, flexing my muscle of, of human intelligence is around breaking down the taboos of money and finance and getting people actually talking about the subject because I feel that everyone has a story when it comes to money, whether it be a positive one uh, or whether that be a negative one. And that's doesn't matter what frame you've come from, it does shape you to either have positive uh, external outcomes when it comes to money, or in many cases, negative external mm-hmm. outcomes when it comes to money. And taking you back to the beginning, like I come from pretty humble beginnings. Um, my, my parents were both business owners. My mum was a hairdresser. She tried to, to run a, a hair salon for many years uh, with great difficulty. And my old man was a bit of a dreamer. He, he was very, very intelligent. Mm. My first mentor, he was a dreamer. He never stuck to anything for long enough to see it through. He was always thinking about the next thing that he was going to move on to and, and he was never able to see things through to success. And one of the things they always said to me is I said, Jackson, if you work hard enough, you will be successful. 
it's something that I, I observe them from working 16 hour days for most of my childhood, never be able to create success. And I go, well, okay, what you're telling me makes sense, but it's yeah. not coming out in the reality of your, of your life, of where you're investing your time. Um, and they struggled for every single dollar that they earned. So I realized that there was something missing and that something was missing was what I refer to as the language of money. It's having that, mm. that knowledge of how to use money as a vehicle, as a tool to manufacture the freedom and opportunity that you want. And the yeah. reality is the vast majority of people, even business owners, really struggle to grasp how do they effectively use that tool. Uh, and even business owners, like I'm sure you hear this all the time, Kira Marie, that individuals get into business because they want freedom and flexibility. They want to yeah. be their own boss. And then but it becomes the noose around the neck. 100%. They create a job for themselves because it's mm. how they've been conditioned to be able to, to, to work. And they go from working nine to five, like 40 hours a week for, for certainty around their income to potentially work 80 hours a week for half the money. And, and it just never made sense to me. So I, I always like to understand how do I use my thought leadership and to be able to help people get the tools and resources they need around money and finance to then use that tool the right way to actually get back on track for creating what I call a true lifestyle business. Mm. So here's the thing. It's a right way for you. How do we know that's the right way for someone else? It's a really great question. Coming from somebody who's learned through somebody who was a do what I say, not what I do type of person, my old man, he was very much, uh, hey, this is the best way to do it, but it's not how I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> I always try and put options on people's menu because Here's the thing. As a human being, we all choose the best option on life's menu at the time. Like you never go into a restaurant and then you go to the menu and then you find the one thing that you hate. Let's call it Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Let's order go, that one. Give me two serves <laughs> of that, please. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's always you order the best thing on life's menu at the time. So yeah. this is not about removing the worst options from the menu. It's about adding the best options on the menu so you can be enabled to make the right decision for you. Yeah. And, and that may, in hindsight, result in you making a decision that you are, in hindsight, not happy with. But you're only going to know that through through actually trying. And I think many people are, are, are paralyzed by fear, particularly when it comes to money. They end up just doing nothing. Yeah. But is this, I, I don't know, let's be real here. There's systems put in place. There's conditionings happening around this world. There's thinking that is old school, old style, that is not really playing in this arena that you talk about right now. Yeah. So uh, how does this work in a real world? The big thing is I feel many people have been conditioned to pursue strategies and tactics, particularly when it comes yeah. to money and finance. And I think that goes for everything, right? And I know that when some of the conversations that we have, Kira Marie, and the people that we surround ourselves with, strategies and tactics don't even form part of the conversation. No. It is this, there's something deeper that needs to be, that ends up becoming the biggest limiting factor in the outcomes that you have in your life and your business. And it is not until you delve into those things and that you can actually start working on those things that then the strategy and tactics just happen to find themselves falling into place anyway. Mm. And this is particularly important when it comes to money. Like I remember early in my career being super passionate about crafting the best wealth strategy for my client that I possibly could with every bell and whistle strategy and wealth creation secret that I could possibly find. And I'm like, wow, this almost presupposes that this individual is going to be able to manufacture financial freedom and smash all of their goals. And then surprise, surprise, they don't follow the plan. Yeah, funny like, that. But, but why? Why is this? Everything's laid out for you on a silver platter. Just follow the plan. The big problem is that there are deeper issues at play that we need to resolve first. Are we doing that as a human race? I think 
there are a subset of individuals who are, but I think the vast majority of people, I would still say no. And, and I think this is being exacerbated by a number of key issues. One, the taboos that people don't like to talk about mindset and what's happening in here. Mm. Most people haven't escaped the matrix mm-hmm. and they don't have the tools and the frameworks that they need to be able to expand to themselves, their own consciousness, the way that they do things from a, a subconscious level. Because we've got to realize that your results that you get in anything in life is a lag indicator for something that's happening intrinsically yeah. inside. I agree. Stop trying to change the outcomes because it's too late. Mm. Um, You need to make sure that you deal with the things internally. And the second part is that the deference of gratification has been is now so difficult because we are in an instantaneous world where everything is delivered to us. You mean that secret blue pill? (laughs) Yeah, the press button and me up right there, right now. Exactly. And yeah. it makes it extremely difficult for people to, to actually defer gratification for what's truly important, which it makes yeah. it very difficult. Yep. And the third? Look, I think the, the third part is mentorship. You just left me hanging there. I'm like, I'm waiting for that third one. The third one's mentorship. Um, I think people okay. are looking for the wrong mentors in the wrong places. Yep. Um, I think many people are conditioned to chase those vanity metrics. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very much an ego thing, and for that reason, they aren't getting the right mentors that they might need at a particular point in time. That's actually going to take them to that next level that they truly and deeply want. Yep. Okay. So, by the way, three great conversations right there, all mixed into one boom yeah. moment. So here's the thing. Number one, what was that? Number one is that people are chasing the the strategies and the tactics as opposed ah. to dealing with the internal stuff. Yeah, so let's go there. No, it was the taboo moment that you said. Ah, Great, love taboo. Nothing is taboo on the decision table. So let's go there. Mindset, that's what you were starting to talk about there. 100%. Here's, Here's the thing with mindset. We often think, and I think of mindset, you know, this goes back to things like trust your gut, intuition, where your mind is at, what you think, how you feel. This to me is part of that data that you have in your brain yes now this data can help you or it can actually be a negative and take away from right correct 100 so if that's the case then why is and i believe you know part of the thing that i talk about is like it's like a secret advantage when you know how to access this how to exercise the muscle of human intelligence because what blows me away is that in a lot of ways, if I go back to the systemic and the conditioning and the biases, we are actually in a place where humanity, are, I believe, are thinking less for themselves, trusting themselves less. And if you do think differently, you don't fit in. And there's a lot of pushback. And I've actually, the more that I'm standing out in this and, and bringing conversations like this to the table, the more actually I'm either loved or, to be honest, Jackson, hated. Yeah. Why is that? At, why is that the case? Like, what is about I that? I think that's the outcome that we want, Kira Marie. And for a very long time, I was very intimidated by this because I think we're all conditioned through the traditional education system to be liked, to fit in, to not be yeah. the, the odd one Good out. Good point. And it took me a very long time to accept the fact that for me to be a confident leader and lead from the front and challenge the status quo of thought leadership in my space, that I need to be polarizing. And Mm. that I found that my measure of success is now measured by the amount of people that hate me. Because (laughs) it means that's a a different leg measure. 
It is. And and here's the thing, I think, Kira Marie, this we've got to realize that many people are motivated by really one of two things. It's either moving away from pain or towards pleasure. And yeah. I think we need to understand that when we're being a leader and we're trying to, to lead from the front and inspire, our, our aim is to find our tribe. And our tribe of individuals may not necessarily have be ready on their journey to put their hand up and, and stand behind you and say, hey, Kira Marie, um, what you're doing is amazing. I'm with you. However, people are very inclined to tell you what they don't like. Oh, that's so, true. Oh, that's so, true. So I find that I'm hearing you of- right now, brother. I'm hearing you. <laughs> and for a really long time, it it, it would really defeat me. I'd, I'd get really riled up about it. But I go, no, yeah. I need to flip my perspective on this. And typically, for every one person that, that shares their dislike for what I have to say, there's likely two or three individuals who I've really hit the, the nail on the head for them, and I've actually helped them advance their position and go, wow, yeah, I really needed to hear that. So that's my justification for it. So here's the thing, right? You talk about something which I think is interesting, communication and how you're communicating that. So you think mindset, you know, in business, you know, in finance, we've got numbers, we can say that's tripled our double, you know, or doubled our or quadrupled our bottom line. And people go, wow, I want that. Mm. How do you do that when it comes to mindset? We know, we know that this is part of our secret advantage to getting absolute growth and then bringing even more impact to the table. How do you get people, how do you communicate this to others Well, you can't show me that this is the proven model. You can't show me that because if I do this, that I'm going to get that. Like it's a really tricky piece to quantify or qualify or whatever you want to say. I agree. Yeah. So being the numbers guy, I try and quantify it because I think it's super important to allow us to really find the words to have these conversations. Like What I've had in my experience is when you're talking to people about mindset and that inner game, it becomes very esoteric and hard to explain. You've got this gut Uh feeling, you've got this instinct, but you can't find the words to actually explain it. And this is because it comes from very different parts of the brain. Typically speaking, those feelings that come down to where our mindset is driven from is from our limbic system. Mm -hmm. And our limbic system has no capacity to communicate. And then our neocortex, our our, our logical, our strategic brain, what we're trying to find the words for, because it evolved at a very later stage, we find it extremely difficult to to find the right words. But we can through really flexing this muscle of human intelligence by through repetitions, through actually taking the time to think and reflect and say, okay, how did I feel about that? Like, how would I find the right words? If I had to Mm. quantify it, what would I use to quantify it? We can then create the muscle memory to then be able to have the right recall when the moment comes to have to discuss it, measure it, and improve it, that we are enabled to do so. Because back on my previous point, the inner game is going to be one of the biggest drivers as a lead indicator for the lag outcomes that you want. Mm-hmm. And I found that, yes, you might want to increase your, you might, might want to double your business. You might want to increase your profits by 50%. You might want to achieve these great outcomes in your business. There is always going to be a component of mindset. Because it's this thing up here that is ultimately making the decisions that influence that outcome in your life and your business. So what we can do is we can then say, okay, well, where am I I right now in terms of those lag indicators? Where do I want to go? And then if I start doing this work, then what is the impact that has? And that gives us a a pretty good measure of success. And I use a couple of of tools for this. Mm -hmm. One is a, a feedback loop. What we try and do with a feedback loop, and this has been done for for hundreds of years, um, even going back to the Jesuit priests, that what we do is we draw two overlapping circles. Mm -hmm. One circle is your current state or your current reality of where you are. 
Yeah. And then the other one is the future state, what you think is going to happen or what you want to try and create. And then our aim is, okay, this is what I think is going to happen and this is what actually happened. How do I get those circles as closely overlapped as I possibly can? Yeah. And the only way we do that is that we perceive, we yeah. do, we reflect. And through that constant iterative process over months and years, we condition our mindset to allow us to whatever we perceive, we conceive. Mm. I like that. I'm just thinking about that right now. So I was thinking about it in the, in regards to what I teach, which is future horizon, which is mm. that, what did you call it? The future state. And then you were saying the now state, is that right? Correct. Which is what I call the starting point. And then how do we close that gap? Yeah. What I'm seeing with a lot of the work that I'm doing is that that gap is actually not narrowing, it's widening. Because where future horizon is to where our starting point, and this is often because of what is happening with the challenges across. I mean, none of us knew last year a pandemic was going to hit the, you know, the global landscape. And that global landscape has hit, whether we like it or not, the global social, economic, environment, you know, and, and created challenges. And in this way, now brought some variables into play that we didn't really expect. No one kind of could have thought of all the borders closing down and the limitations from that and just how even as a culture, how that's changed, how we do things. You know, I I often meet with someone and, you know, like you might see them as you're walking out the street and you go, are you meant to give them a hug? Are you meant to just like cry? <laughs> it's kind of awkward now. Like this is our this is our new norm, you know. And it's none of us expected that. And and I wonder how that is to take into play to how that affects our mindset, our thinking, mm-hmm. you know. And is this actually widening it, or is it now helping to narrow it? And I'd love your thoughts on that. It's a matter of perspective. And I feel my old man was always great at giving me advice. He taught me some amazing things that have have ultimately led me to be the leader that I am today. And one of the things that he taught me is he said, Jackson, he who said he can and he who said he can't are both right. (laughs) And I found that people over the course of the last 12 months have either been enabled or disabled as a result of this external Mm, environment. Um, And to be fair, like in full honesty, when March last year, my business partner and I, when this whole lockdown thing happened, we, yeah. we kind of got together and we said, look, we don't know what's going to happen here. Mm. We could, this could be devastating for our business, but we can either sit around and do nothing and just allow things to unfold around us or we can roll our sleeves up and really serve our clients, serve our community and do everything we possibly can to get everyone through this situation. Yeah. And that means that we end up getting through this thing, awesome, but at least we can do our best. And it was the best year that we've ever had in business. We had substantial growth. We've been able to to scale our Mm. team, hiring individuals when people are getting laid off left, right and centre. We've had our biggest year in client growth. None of our clients had to close their doors as a result of of the the coronavirus situation. We got everyone through. And then I've seen some people who've just essentially hung all of their objections and all of their failures off this situation. And unfortunately, that's not what leadership is supposed to be about. You make the best of the cards that you are dealt. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes to, you know, you know that in my world, there's been a lot of people who have done the 75 hard. And yeah. and it's interesting because they they see it more as less, sorry, that 
as a physical thing and more as a mental thing. So it's all around the whole mental toughness. For me, that is not an issue. I exercise my mental toughness on a daily, on an hourly, on a minute thing. It's something that is so important and it brings it all back into what I call the human intelligence because I realize that when I actually have this data that's going to be helpful in my brain, I can then wire to behaviors that's going to give me and help me to make better decisions and get the results that I actually want at the table, right? So I learned that and I learned that if I was messy, I was producing messy results, like basically, right? And so mental toughness is not something that I hide away from, but I can tell you it so surprises me how many people really struggle with mental toughness. And when it came to that challenge, there were so many that said, hey, going to do the challenge, going to do it. And they were so quiet throughout that challenge. They all fell away. There were very few, seriously, only a few. And they were males, by the way, which I found interesting, that made it all through. I've just completed phase one. I'm on that break in between now before you can do the next phase. But I didn't find it difficult except for the challenge that it put on me physically because of where my body was at. But I chose to do the challenge. So there is no failing on that. It is a decision I made and I'm not going to fall back on that unless it was a life or death thing, which actually it was putting my body under a lot of pressure. So I did have to question it at one point. It surprises me. How many people are at that stage in life where they can't make a decision, they either need it made for them or give me that pill or give me that model or give me that system so that I can now become something in it that will get that result. Do you know how much that shocks me? And I wish I could say to you, that it's only a few people that I have this this sort of conversation with. It's a lot. And the the analogy that I use, Kira-Marie, is that the default position in terms of mindset is the passenger seat, Mm. that people are an observer to their mindset and the constraints that that mindset creates for them. And personally, I used to be in this position. I was terrible, particularly because my old man was a, a serial procrastinator. And there was always an excuse for the lack of results that he had. There was always somebody else to blame. He never took responsibility for the outcomes Mm -hmm. of his actions until such a time as he was on his deathbed. And for a very long time, I was a procrastinator as well. I was Mm -hmm. terrible at waking up in the morning. I was a terrible employee. I was just coasting through life at the very bare minimum amount of effort that I needed to get through. And it wasn't healthy. Yeah. And then I got to a point that I realized that something needed to change. I got out of the passenger seat. I took seized control. I jumped in the driver's seat and I realized that I had full control if I chose to seize that control over my yes. mindset and I could mold it to my will. And one of the first things that I did, Kira Marie, is that I, I realized that, that drinking and alcohol was actually a big impact in my life. And I come from a long history of alcoholics on my mum's side. Yeah, right. And I didn't feel like, um, like I was definitely admit that I'm a, I was an alcoholic. It wasn't causing a huge amount of impact on my life other than the fact that I wasn't a but very nice person. It could have. If you kept going, it would have. I was just a terrible person when I drank Kira yeah. That was the problem. People yeah. didn't like me. I was obnoxious. I was a pain in the ass. Um, I can't and, imagine but I was, that. I can't imagine. 
<laughs> so I had enough insight to recognize that. And then I decided okay. that I was going to give up drinking for a year. And it was a New Year's yeah, resolution. Right. And up until that point, I was one of those individuals that failed their New Year's resolution by like day seven, right? But yeah. I, I committed to it. And then I, I got three months in and then I decided that I was never going to drink again. And, hmm. and that's now been five years. Wow. And it's just about understanding that you can be a passenger or you can be in the driver's seat. And just because you're in the driver's seat doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy, but it means that you can seize control. Yeah. So here's the thing. Because you did that in that moment, have you now been able to do that sort of thing in business? In everything. Yeah. So and that's what I'm about- talking about when it, when it's exercising, right? Like seriously, it's, and I'll go back to it, but it really blew me away that so many people who wanted to do 75 hard didn't get beyond a few days. Exactly. And it comes down to one of my first mindset mentors said to me, Jackson, how you do anything is how you do everything. Oh, I so believe that. I so and believe that. The, re- yeah. the reality is those individuals who didn't follow through with 75 hard, it is because that there are other little things in their life that they haven't resolved yet. Yeah. Interesting, and if you can isn't resolve it? those little things, it will likely presuppose things like 75 hard uh, will just occur. That's why I love this conversation because that's what exercising is. It's like yeah. if we do fail, that, and I don't think of fail as a fail. I actually think of it as a learning ground. So if we have to get back up again, what have I learned from that? What am I not going to do again? And how do, am I going to make sure that I can do it better next time and that's how I think about anything and everything so if I am at that point where I'm feeling really low because today's so hard what do I need to do now to start changing that shifting that around because like you said we have the opportunity because we can own it ourselves to then put in and I think that this is so important okay so that was mindset that was that taboo thing nothing taboo here and I think we sort of smashed that out number two was what number two was what do we say Kira Marie I know too deep in the conversation. See, that's why I normally write everything, but if <laughs> I'm writing, it makes a noise on here. So I'm like, normally I have my post-it notes and I write everything down. Let's what was number two? gratification. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So deference gratification is, is a really interesting one because yeah. I feel that they did a study at Stanford many years ago um, called the Marshmallow Experiment. And, and I love using this analogy because I think most yeah. people know of the Marshmallow Experiment these days. And what they were trying to test is intrinsic deference of gratification. Some people yeah. are born with it and some people have to to learn it. And what they basically did is they got four and five-year-old kids. They put them in a, a room that had no visual stimulation. It was just a white room. And they left them with a marshmallow. And they basically said, hey, look, here's a marshmallow. You can eat it if you want, but I'm going to leave the room. And when I come back, if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, I'm going to give you a second marshmallow. And they didn't tell the kids how long for, but it was for 15 minutes. Mm. Now, what they were able to work out is and a that, kid's world, that's a long time, right? That's a really long time. <laughs> so what they're able to work out is that two out of three kids ate the marshmallow. So yeah. I didn't do some happened at one minute, some happened at five minutes, some happened at 14 minutes and 50 seconds. But they were able to prove through all of the tests only two out of three, two out of three kids would eat the marshmallow. Yeah. One out of three, however, understood the power of deference of gratification. And they could yeah. intrinsically keep themselves occupied for long enough to be able to wait to get the second marshmallow. And to be honest, like I'm the two out of three kids. Like I'm the normally the one that's stuffing the marshmallow into my mouth as soon as the person wow, is left really? the room. So I'd really have to work hard at understanding what am I deferring gratification for? Now, 
this might be very interesting to many people, but I'm not a money-driven person. Like I've helped my clients build over $1.4 billion in combined wealth, but money doesn't mm. drive me. Yeah. Money is just a vehicle for me to create the yeah. freedom and flexibility and have the things that I really want. And typically that's lifestyle related and legacy related. Mm. And for a really long time, I was running other people's races and wondering why I was always falling short. It's because I was running the same rat race as them of just chasing yeah. money. It didn't work. But it was when I found my true purpose of what was my North Star? What is my measure of success? What are the yeah. things that I am willing to defer gratification for that I stopped eating the marshmallow? Mm. And what I also worked out is that we're in this society that is an either-or society. Yeah, that's um, so true. And the reality is that if you are a, a leader, if you are yeah. a business owner, if you are an entrepreneur, if you have control over the results that you achieve in all aspects of your life and your business, mm. you don't have to choose either-or. No. You can just think bigger and work at how can I have it all? And, and this is where my motto comes from of live for today and plan for tomorrow. This is about making mm -hmm. sure that we – we don't just defer all this gratification and for the future indefinitely and live frugally. It's about deriving benefit from your reaping the rewards of your labor, but also keeping enough aside to be able to make sure that you've got that freedom and opportunity that you want in the future as well. Mm. You know, it's an interesting, interesting what when you say that I think of, okay, so running my own race, I'm really happy to be in my lane, but sometimes being in that lane means that you have to put up with other people's biases because you don't do it the same way as everyone else does or you don't think the same way. And um, and I had a week full of this last week where I thought, wow, these people have worked with me a long time, but they really don't understand me. They don't get me at all. And I realised it's because I'm a strong person, as you know, but that doesn't mean I have to rant and rave. And there's times when I believe actually silence is all that is needed right now because if you try and push your opinion, your thinking, your insights around this, it's going to fall on deaf ears and sometimes it's the longevity of just sowing a seed, sowing a seed, sowing a seed. But I realised that because sometimes that's the way I do it, it was actually perceived as I'm not a strong leader. And isn't that interesting because mm. I never thought of it in that way. And so when that was brought to my attention, I was like, wow, I really feel you don't understand me and you certainly don't get what I'm about. Yeah. And it's because for the first time, and then there was another situation where I really, I had to give voice for some team and the rest of the team didn't like it. But I was literally just being a voice for the team. It wasn't me personally. It wasn't me saying at anyone or anything. But I was very misunderstood in what I was bringing. And I thought, wow, this is truly me giving voice to team. Yeah. And I felt so strongly about it and I needed to do it. But I've not always done it like that. I've kind of pampered to people's personalities mm. and I've softened the blow or, uh, you know, and, and I'm like, we can't. This is a warning bell. I need you to listen right now and this is what is being presented to me. Here's the thing. I realise that for so many years I've kind of fitted into it mm. because if I didn't, then I really had no voice at the table. And if I didn't do it that way, it would be everyone would shut down 
because that's not how we do it here. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, and, I, and I'm so I'm navigating a lot of that right now because I think in the spaces that I get to be like this, and it's awesome, and I'm loving it because those that know me know that I'm not coming at a, hey, I know everything or this is what it's, you know what I mean? So how do we navigate that in a, what I believe needs to be and part of that new approach is that we should be evolving as leaders and leadership? This is something that I've been on my own journey with this, Kumari, um, wow. as I've I've always tried to to communicate things in my way. I've never really cared what people think about me once I made that initial discovery that we spoke about before where I I, yeah. I, I got over the fear of being judged and then I found my voice. Whereas and I was the I, opposite. I, yeah, I, I've, I've tried. To, I've, I've always been pretty ruthless in, in my opinion and give people the tough advice that they need at the time that they need it. Um, mm. However, I've always been a communicator from the way that I communicate and not always been had the emotional intelligence to understand how people need to hear it for it yeah. to be interpreted the way that they need in order to get the results that I intended. Um, and it's something that I've been uh, constantly working on. Um, and it's something that I think I will always be working on uh, because it's probably one of the things that I has thought a, I nailed it so damn good. That was the thing. Yeah. And to have it smack down like that so many times was like, wow. But I also realized it's in a place where it is so old school. Yeah. It's interesting. I think there's always going to be situations that catch us off guard as leaders. We need to be pushing the pace. That's what leadership is about. It's about expanding the environment in which we're able to operate in, uh, expand that consciousness, expand the thinking to be able to expand the results and the outcomes. Um, And I think sometimes we're going to find ourselves hitting up against brick walls and having to take a couple of steps back. And it's definitely a chip off my ego. (laughs) But uh, I think it's something that if we're not doing that, we're probably not in the right place. Okay, so we're going to talk about ego in a minute because that was number three. But here's the thing, going back to that piece where it's not actually about ego in this case, it's about staying in your own lane even when you're hit down, you're hit down, you're hit down. Any thoughts of how to do that well? I think the big thing is it needs to be bigger than you. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Uh, I think yeah. that for, for sometimes I've... I've always been open to other people's ideas and in some cases I've, I've had a, a, a particular perspective on things, I've been challenged on it and I go, okay, yeah, wow, there's a lot of validity in that. Mm-hmm. However, once I've got really clear on my legacy and my purpose and what I'm on this world to do, I've been able to, to stand truer to the path that I need to be on in order to get the outcomes that I want over the course of my lifetime. Yeah. Um, and I think it's having that North Star. Because if you go a couple of degrees off course, you can always get back on track because you know exactly what you're chasing big picture. Yeah, I always say it's about, and that's one of the things that I do in the culture DNA pattern is making sure not only that you have the the vision, but the pillars that hold that and then the drivers to hold those pillars. What would be, if you were thinking of your drivers, what are your drivers? I've got a big world vision of what I'm trying to create. And ultimately, I, I want to expand the the delivery of the language of money globally to help more people manufacture true financial freedom over the course yeah. of their lifetimes and for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, my things come down to really that what I refer to as the million dollar mindset, which is the core pillar that I feel everyone needs to work on to set themselves up for financial and lifestyle success. And yeah. the next thing is about understanding the, the financial foundations of your business, of how do you use your business as a vehicle to manufacture financial freedom. And then really the third part is a concept that I'm building at the moment called the family vault, of how do you 
create a financial operating system that allows every single generation that comes to never go without again. Yeah, love that. That's why I enjoy these conversations because, I mean, I hear you. I hear you and I love that. And you need to stop saying I'm trying you and just say I'm doing because yeah. every every time you're having a conversation, every time you're you're putting it out there, someone across the globe is listening to that. And so you're already doing, my friends. Yep. So <laughs> but I love that. I love that. I love and and I always say if you really want to grow your growth, and that's economic as well as cultural impact, the way to do that is actually to have out focus. And I love the fact that all of that was around you know you get past yourself there's a limit to yourself there's a limit to what I don't know I like I love me but dude if I live for myself that's kind of a boring thing whereas if I can say I live for humanity well now you're talking right so I think when there's an out focus hey let's number three was ego um around the ego side of it I can't remember how you said it but it brought that in and it, and for me that was the word that came out from it. I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, there's so much about, well, I don't know, egos. Like I don't get it. I was never brought up. In fact, I actually suffered from the other side of it that I didn't, uh, I don't even know what the opposite, what's the opposite to ego? What would you say it is? It's oh, a good question. Because it wasn't that I was humble. I was humble, but it was humble because I didn't think anything of myself. I, I was, you know what I mean? So I actually came from the other side that I didn't think I was worthy enough to have a voice. I didn't think I was smart. I didn't think I had anything really to offer because that was the environment and I was listening to it. I was like, well, when you get told that enough times, you start kind of believing it, right? Yeah. And then I had to really find out what it was that I could bring to this world and actually add to the world as a human being and an awesome human being at that. How do we get, so I don't really understand, I really don't, and it bugs me when I see egos come into play. Yeah, it's tough, particularly in our space, Kim-Marie. I think what's really interesting is that on my family crest, and we and we traced our family heritage on my dad's side back to the Roman Empire, and our family crest wow. out in, in Latin, it says non ducor duco, which basically means I'm not led, I lead. Wow. And I think this is a, a trap that we as leaders fall, find ourselves falling into is that we feel that if we want to be a leader, we cannot be led by others. And this is, a, mm. this is a fallacy. This is false. And I've fallen into this trap myself is that you get to a point where you feel like you know everything. And mm. the problem is that as a leader, we are like a tree. We are either growing and thriving or we are rotting and dying. You have to choose one. And it was not until I got to the point where I committed myself to being a lifelong student of always yeah. being a mentee, and which allows me to be a better mentor, that I've constantly surrounded myself with people who are smarter than me. Yeah. People like yourself, so people like Taki. Um, everyone yeah. in, in our community are far more intelligent than I am in many other aspects than my wheelhouse. And I do that on purpose mm. because a rising tide lifts all ships. And it allows me to create more impact through the collective of, of all. So I think the problem is ego is really a, a vicious trap to find yourself falling into. Mm. And I found that ego comes from a position of scarcity. It means mm. ego is a defense mechanism when you are missing something. Hmm. If you do not feel you are worthy, if you feel like you constantly have something to prove, um, if you feel that you need to be heard because you don't feel like you have a voice loud enough, ego is the mechanism that, that jumps into action that allows you to get the voice, to be heard, to be respected. But it's not from a positive 
point no. of view. Like, there are very few people in this world who have big egos that are easy to get along with and get what they want in life. So, oh, you say that, but I don't, I don't know. They seem to be able to draw so many people to them. Like, honestly, they can, I, think they're not happy. I think it's kind of a poison, particularly in if we even go into the, like, the coaching industry and consultant industry. There's a poison there and it's built on a lot of egos. Yep, I agree. And yet people are drawn to them and want to be like them and to be a part of their world. So I think actually it fuels people. It does, but it's a negative fuel. And I don't, I don't think those people who are exhibiting those egos are happy. Mm, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a cover. It's a Band-Aid solution for a deeper problem. And, and I know because I've struggled with this myself. Yeah. And I've found that when I'm happiest, when I'm most full, when I feel like I'm complete, if I feel like I'm on the right on the right path, I have no need for ego. Do you know what? One of the things I've loved about being in the global leadership landscape has been that I've been at tables where, you know, it's closed doors with former presidents. They're the most humble, like honestly, and just former leaders of amazing movements across the world. I have to tell you, I would sit in that room way more than I would in the coaching and the consulting industry. Like honestly, it is the most beautiful place to be. And these are people that have all the reason to why they could feel very proud of themselves and, you know, think they've got a lot of smart. And they are the most humble, humble people. And that inspires me that you can be of, you know, like have be of that level that you are bringing so much impact and yet yeah. your ego sits over there. They know who they're about. Don't get me wrong. They're confident. They've got a presence about them, but there's no ego in it. And no. honestly, it's amazing. It is I so amazing. It, Maslow hit the nail on the head is that the top two layers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that there's mm -hmm. ego where we become selfish, that we yeah. are looking to pursue our own individualistic endeavors. And this is where ego comes from. Mm -hmm. And then there is selfless, where we get to a point of self-actualization, where we have everything that we want. And it's yep. not about us anymore. We are just the conduit. We are just the, the vessel that is going and creating impact in the greater world and the greater community. And I think yep. when I reframed well, my purpose of what I'm, I'm pursuing from being selfish to selfless and going from that ego pillar of, the, of, of Maslow's to the self-actualization, it changed everything. Mm. Why do you think you kind of started going down that road of ego? That I realised it wasn't healthy. I, I didn't like who I was and, and I didn't want to be that type of person where if I walked out of a room, everyone goes, oh, thank God that dickhead left. It's um, so true, right? <laughs> and, and I, I want to be remembered that because I guess what, another thing my old man always said to me, he goes, you, you've, you've got to act in a way that people you want people to remember you by. And yeah. people aren't going to remember you by the wealth that you have or the belongings that you had. They're going to remember you by the things that you leave behind in the world after you are gone. Yeah. Um, and this is the reason why I've made a commitment to writing a book a year for the rest of my life, um, is that this is going to form part of my legacy that will live far yeah. beyond once I'm gone. And these are the things that I'm going to be remembered by. So I don't have time for ego. I love that. I love that. Hey, if people want to find out more about you and connect with you, how do they do that the best way? 
Yeah, best ways on Facebook. Um, so feel free to add me as a friend. Happy to have a conversation. I'm always sharing a lot of content around helping business owners create what we refer to as a lifestyle business, a business that creates a more profit, more free time, and more personal wealth. So uh, always love to have a conversation. Uh, so feel free to reach out and, uh, and connect and we can have a chat. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Here's the thing. On every conversation that I have on this table, it's really important for me that we don't just have a conversation. You know, I always say that part of this is creating this awareness. Like I think we've brought up so many beautiful um, insights and had deep conversation about that and even how that's really not just playing out across the globe but playing out in our own world and you know, what what we're doing with art. But I always ask this question because I think, you know, awareness is great, but it's, and in fact, you started pushing on that a little bit, but the next piece I think is ownership. What am I taking from this conversation? What am I going to do with this or thinking? So I always ask every person that comes on here, what are you taking from our conversation today? Yeah, I think the big thing, I think there's two points here as well. There's ownership and there's stewardship. So the ownership is that this is a, a healthy reminder for me to make sure that I keep things like my ego in check and that I focus on not just the IQ, but also the EQ, that I'm focusing yeah. on communicating my yeah. leadership in a way that can get the best out of others. And from a, a position of stewardship of what I'm doing for others is about making mm-hmm. sure that I'm always leading from the front and sharing the cutting edge of thought leadership that inspires others to create the, the financial freedom that they want and understand the language of money. Okay, so let's break that down. What does leading from the front mean for you? Leading from the front is about pushing the status quo on the conversation. It's about talking about the things that people don't necessarily want to talk about or haven't thought about talking about yet. Yeah, here's the interesting thing. I often get questioned about my questions because I ask a lot of questions. And as you know, they probably are quite controversial, some of these questions that I may ask. But I'm not asking because I have any agenda around it. I really am not. I am literally wanting us to question why we think what we do and be curious around it. What do you think about that? What does that bring up when you when you think like that or you ask like you're saying I want to lead from the front. Well, lead from the front is meaning that you're going to have to question things and know what that is for you. Yeah, I think it's about constantly delving into that unconsciously incompetent aspect of everyone because we don't know what Mm -hmm. we don't know. And it takes somebody to ask those foreign and sometimes unfathomable questions that allow us to expand our consciousness and expand the realm of what is possible. Yeah. Um, and I think it's super important that we're, we're challenging the status quo in that regard. And that's something I'm always trying to do, striving to do to the best of my ability. <laughs> so here's the thing. Mike A sent me this, and you know Mike A, sent me this, uh, This he, he, he sent me a question going, hey, are you really angry this week? He goes, because of the questions that you're asking. And I thought, I don't even know how to respond to that was the first thought. <laughs> and then the second thought was, No, but I'm really, like, all I can say around it is I'm really at a time and space in my life where I am tired of having to do it a certain way to keep people comfortable. And we don't have, uh, if there's something I've learned in the last couple of years, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know when your time is over here on earth. I don't know that I've got time to muck around. And and I think if I don't question these things, if I don't stand, like you said, if I don't lead from the front, 
then who's going to do that? And if I'm not liking where the problems are and I want to bring solution, then I've got to own how am I doing this or what am I doing to keep making sure we're shifting towards solution? It's an interesting thought. I love the fact that he asked that question because it was like, actually, no, I'm not angry. And I don't mean it by that. I'm just, I'm reading so many crazy books right now from like, literally, I I think I'm a little bit, I would say a lot when it comes to reading ADHD, because I love learning. And so here's, here's just a few books that I've got on the go right at the moment. And I'm reading them all and loving them all. So I'm reading Candace Owens, which is, she's massive with political thinking over in America and quite opposite to what most black African-Americans are standing for. And it's so interesting. Then I'm reading Kingpin, American Kingpin. So the underground, I don't know if you know that book, but it's the underground. He decided that every human should have the rights to have drugs and be able to buy them. And so he, and he's this amazing, smart businessman. Um, So phenomenal in that way. Um, Then I'm reading Barack Obama and all things about funnels with Russell Brunson. And there's one other book, oh, all about movement and the power of movement in making you smarter person, right? Massive combination of things. And so then you put in what I'm listening to and it's all across different industries. Why? Because I'm asking questions myself. I'm going to put that into asking questions as a wider environment. So you're going to get all this mix of random things because I question it, because I think it has been such a time in life where I've just taken, like a lot of other people, oh, well, that's just the way we do it. That's just what how we think. We've got to think outside the box. Like, and I've always believed that in our business, we get our best ideas from our newest people because they haven't yeah. been conditioned into our way of thinking. Yeah, um, And we always ask them, hey, how would you do this differently? Like, how, how would you show up differently here? Yeah. And similarly, I've stopped reading finance books and, and work books about business. And I've started looking for things outside of that realm. And uh, one of the things I'm doing at the moment is the gateway experience. Those uh, recently declassified yeah. CIA files yes. um, to try and expand my consciousness and think. Mr. Jason uh, think- Everett. Is doing yeah, the he's same got me, thing. Into the, got me into the rabbit hole. <laughs> but um, really, it's just a way of expanding the, your way of thinking so you can yeah. think bigger and ask the questions that you may not have thought to ask. Yeah. But then it's funny because then you'll get, like Mike A, going back to that, he sends me this question, are you angry? No, just questioning. And, yep. and I don't have time to muck around and mess up. So I'm really questioning. Isn't that funny though? Okay. So what I'm taking from our conversation is um, actually when it comes to ego, I found that quite fascinating. I don't really know enough around ego. Like, and I'll often people will question, oh, you just want validation on that. And I go, no, 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 it's not that at all. Like, I don't even understand why they would go there and I question it. Um, So it also gave me understanding around ego today because here's the thing that I always say. When When I was traveling the world, one of the things that was so strong came out of my work was um, the fact that isolation I used to call it a, an epidemic amongst not just leadership, but humanity, right? And I saw what isolation was doing across the culture, across the world. And I began writing about it, crazy. And then we went into lockdown a year and a half after I started writing about it. 
But here was the thing that I found. I found that collaboration was the answer to isolation. Yeah. Here's the thing I finding interesting of what you just said today about ego is how do we collaborate? We can't collaborate when there's ego in play. You can't because you're going to be hiding. You're going to be, and maybe that's why collaboration is so difficult and and there are not amazing role models of a collaboration out there. There really isn't. There's a lot of breakages and broken down relationships from things. There's, you know, so people don't tend to do collaboration. And I'm going to be pulling that apart more and figuring out how do we remove the ego into it because maybe that's one of the things that is stopping people from joining a lot of the collaborative side of what I, I know is part of our solution at the table and across the globe right now. I'm really looking forward to that conversation because I agree with you. I think it's super yeah. important and we need to collaborate. We need to come together if we want to be stewards for increasing human intelligence in the future. We can't do that being isolated and keep all, all of this knowledge to ourselves. We need to share yeah. it and we need to collaborate and expand on this knowledge. So how do you think? If you are thinking on that, how can we collaborate better? It's something that I'm consciously trying to work on a lot this year of how do I collaborate better better with others. Um, Mm. I think this is about finding out who in your network can you do more for uh, without expecting anything in return. Because what I found in my experience- I think that's the key. That's the key though. Help people. And and I found that I'm trying to, to show more gratitude, trying to help people, trying to acknowledge people for what they're doing in this world. And naturally, wow. opportunities come back off the back of it without expectation. That's um, right. So just try and break, break it into your daily habits, your daily rituals of just showing gratitude and helping the people that matter the most around you. Yeah, I love that. All right. So if you were leaving everyone with words of wisdom from today's conversation that maybe you haven't had a chance to say right now, but this is your moment. You've got a voice. Use it. What What would you like to leave people with? This is actually the, the last piece of advice that my old man gave me on his deathbed. And um, he said to me, Jackson, every person in this world has two lives and their second life starts when they realize they only have one. Hmm. And it's at this point that we realize that life is short. Nothing is promised. Things are yeah. uncertain. The only thing that is promised to you is right now. So are you making the most of right now in your life with the legacy that you want to leave behind in this world? Um, mm. And I think it's super important. The more connected you can be to that, the sooner you can get to that level of self-actualization, the better this world is going to be. Love that. I love everything that you've said, actually. And I would have loved to have disagreed with you on things, but I really <laughs> haven't today. Um, I actually really agree on a lot of what we've talked about. And I just say disagree because it would have been an interesting conversation because I know you're bigger than that. But I really, I thank you for coming on here and just being willing to have a conversation. I love getting to know people more the human side of the person, not just, um, and one of the things I don't do is really say, hey, this is Jackson and this is what he does and this is how he, and this is on purpose because, you know, so many of us have done that and identified with that and then people fall into their biases. Oh, then they must be that kind of person. What I love about today is I've got to know you even in a deeper way than I have in the past. And I'm loving what you're saying. I'm loving your journey as you continue to grow on that. So thank you for continuing to want to learn 
because even as me knowing you, I see this person that is evolving and I'm loving that evolving and I love it when people can not just be this business person, this wealth and, you know, making money and all that side of it, but the true Jackson of why that's important comes out as well. And when you've got that freedom to be able to do that, then this is also why that is so important. And I thank you for being so real today. I thank you for just standing in your truth. And uh, I believe you are already starting to lead from the front. So just continue to do that. that. Yeah. Thanks, Jim Marie. It was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to catching up again soon. Yeah. All right. I'm going to end the live broadcast. Just wait there, Jackson. Don't you go away anywhere. But thank you to those that have been on this broadcast, but also those that are going to listen to the replay. If you love this, make sure you connect. If you want to know more about Jackson, connect with him. But love this. You know, part of the awareness is we have these conversations. We need to share this with other people that maybe need to hear this conversation. Maybe that they might become curious to ask different questions, maybe even take it to a different level. So I'm going to end the broadcast, but it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you, Jackson, on the decision table. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change, and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.